On this week's episode of Diet Starts Monday, the government has officially reopened, and maybe that's what caused the polar vortex. We might not be that great at science, but we talk all things higher ed with this week's guest. So enjoy. It's your three favorite cows driving on the East Coast, figuring it out and always doing the most. We've got our ups and downs at the end of the day. Don't forget, diet starts one day. Hey everyone, that's the sound of your favorite gal out here in the midst of a polar vortex. Uh, welcome to Diet Starts Monday, fresh episode right here on what will be Monday, turn up. Um, we are excited and back and better than ever from literally two weeks ago. That's, you know, that's it. <laughs> hey everyone, how's it going? How's your weeks? Um, things, I guess personal things back in school slash working two jobs slash living my busiest life <laughs> another b maybe not best but you know busy booked and busy there we go other than that though personally everything's good everything's cool everything's cold what about y'all? went outside for five minutes today and immediately regretted it i'm actually coming to you live from hell because i died and i want it to be warm so <laughs> hey that's fair. Proud of you for going outside. Um, not going to lie. I didn't think that moving out here to Chicago lands, I would ever experience like a snow day again because they can handle it. But this wasn't really a snow day. This was more like a don't go outside or you actually might die day. So luckily, um, my employer shut down everything today um, and I still get coins. So that's cool. Oh, you um, do? Yeah, so I'm still paid today because technically it's like nobody called out. It was just like God was like, fuck y'all. Um, I love when he does that or she. Yeah, or they. Who are we to say? Uh, we love rhymes. Um, but yeah, so all I have really to update y'all is that it's cold out here. But the weekend is looking promising um, and to be back up into like 20s and 30s. Um, so That's promising. I break out your shorts, white people. <laughs> we're excited there was um, some kid wearing shorts in minnesota and this person interviewed him or they took his picture and he's like i'm not going to give you my name because if my mom sees this she's going to yell at me for wearing shorts and i'm like maybe you should have just put pants on young man where are you going oh my that's God. fun well things happening in the world the government's open that's good temporarily news. <laughs> yeah. what's the deal with the? i mean i guess realistically in the next three weeks we could be back in the same position. Yeah, I mean, apparently they're already, I guess, discussing or negotiating, whatever that means, um, in Congress, like, I guess, border security and all that stuff. But, like, I can't imagine that after that whole clusterfuck that was the shutdown that they would do it again, because that just probably wouldn't look good mm. for anyone. Really? So, like, I just hold that. Crossed. I don't think anyone has standards anymore. So, like, I wouldn't be surprised if three weeks on the dot they're like oh because who's gonna if they couldn't figure it out in a month how are they gonna figure out in really? you know 21 days like they were like, nowhere near compromise 36 days ago and like they're obviously not talking about it now so mm. i was just hopeful that it was more of like 
the a, a good hopefully enough Republicans are ready to be like at peace with the wall that was never the promise that they made anyway so like can they just enough of them decide that they don't have to stick with Trump on this like I don't know they really just need eight people I'm not part I think. of their base so like I don't know what their base wants but like anyway I mean from what I understand it's more about like just they're huge on this whole like we even if like you don't like everything that we stand for at bare minimum we're united so like even there even though like a lot of republicans slash like i would say more conservatives because at this point there's a difference between like george bush republican and like trump supporting republican um but like from what i understand they just are always like we need to present a united front like we whether i agree on this issue or not and whether i feel like my specific base agrees I'm going to perform better in these elections or like the party as a whole is going to perform better if like we all stick together in the ways in which we vote so that's like my understanding of politics but that's minimal anyway so yeah they're like party over people as opposed to being like I think I've like summed it up in my head as there are people who see themselves as politicians and then there are people who see themselves as public servants and even though these people are supposed to be serving the public, which is why we put you there, everyone should be a public servant. So that's like this whole new age of like Democrats that they're like, you're going to ruin the Democratic Party because you believe in people having health care, public servant. And then the person is like, I can fundraise a bajillion dollars from my millionaire friends, politician. And so like you sort of got to decide what are you at this point? And a lot of them want to be politicians because they don't care about the public. Hmm. Also, yeah. Maya, was that a was that a Sarah Palin? Like, I don't know if that was intentional, but that came across as yep. your Sarah Palin impression. And so <laughs> was it? Oh, it. I don't know. That's just yeah. my impression of Republican people is always like, tidy, tidy, whitey, I am white <laughs> and stupid. <laughs> people who can see Russia from their house, basically. Um, well, which is, maybe she Sarah was foreshadowing. Time out. I don't know if you said that name intentionally, but you just triggered me. Um, Sarah Palin, I hate you. So this is like jumping a little bit. But when the government was shut down, they canceled the State of the Union because Nancy Pelosi's like, if you're going to say it, you're going to say it from outside because you're not getting into this Congress. And so they reopened it. And then she invited 45 to do it on February 5th, which I think they're if my calculations are correct, they're literally canceling an episode of This Is Us for that bullshit to be on, which I'm like, fuck you. NBC but um I know so whenever someone gives the state of the union the opposite party gives a rebuttal and Stacey Abrams is giving it and Sarah Palin had the audacity to go on Bill Gates's internet and be like they're letting a loser give the rebuttal and they're like bitch do you want to talk about being losers how was your vice presidency oh wait it didn't happen so eat a dick Sarah Palin why don't you teach your son to stop beating on women instead of getting on Twitter and talking Ooh. about stupid shit oh the tea is hot I'm done oh. <laughs> wow Maya a that boob. was really sitting on my spirit because you I'm said so Sarah glad. Palin and I hate her <laughs> I mean wow. the funny thing is is I didn't even know that um and I feel like this week we're just like super political that's what's going on in the world um but I didn't even know that like um, the opposite party gives a rebuttal because like realistically, I didn't care, obviously, for the past eight years. I was like, oh, I just want to hear Obama. Um, mm-hmm. But obviously now, like I'll tune into Stacey Abrams and like, I don't know. I just I, I think that's really interesting. And maybe that's just my lack of political knowledge again. But like, I, I literally didn't even know that was a thing. It's always because like the actual State of the either. Union goes so long 
and the people like drone it out and they they can't start the rebuttal until the actual state of the union ends so then they're like strap in and you don't know when it's gonna happen you know this, this guy be talking, be so... Yeah. Yeah. He got a lot to say about nothing. <laughs> I mean, the only other thing I'll say about it is that I also did not know that that was a thing. So me and you, Aj, are right there in the same boat of, like, hashtag ignorance. But I I think that's cool that they are lifting up Stacey Abrams and still giving her a platform and all these things. Because that feels really awesome to still be supporting her, even after, you know, losing that really contested and, you know, all sorts of struggles... Oh, yeah. Like gubernatorial, is that how you say a governor race? Gubernatorial. I, I thought it was gubernatorial. Is it gubernatorial? Yeah. Maya, we um, don't trust you with words. Come on. Hey, <laughs> what what do I always say? English, English is your second is not language. My first language. So, um, but yeah, most, well, that's yeah. cool. Shout out to Stacy. I will definitely watch. Maybe not in the moment, but probably find it on the internet later. Um, other political things, since we're still here and everything is politics. So Kamala Harris is like officially running and all. Um, okay, quick question. Can, yeah, go. I thought it was Kamala, or am I just like ratcheting it up? It's Kamala, I think, because of her Indian heritage. Oh. We can ask our guest about that later, but um, I'm pretty sure it's Kamala. Kamala. Okay. And she has a sister named Maya, so she half already has my vote. But like, <laughs> we're gonna get into her actual political things for like I, five minutes. I have a question. Yeah, yeah. Go like, for it. I haven't yet done the reading, but I know that there are the reading LOLs if this is class. Um, but I know that there are people who feel some kind of way that like, yeah, she's great on some things, but there are some problematic things about her like voting history and her record with I, I think it's like criminal justice and stuff like that. Yep. Do does anybody want to film me? I don't know. I'm happy to do the research later if we don't have time right now. Yeah. I mean, long story short, um, she was the D.A. from what I understand for like a very long time. Um, and if there's one thing black people don't fuck with, <laughs> it's law enforcement. And <laughs> um, I guess be- being the district attorney or whatever, it, it like can often be a problematic thing because, I mean, you're a lot of times convicting people who may or may not be guilty, obviously. And our criminal justice system is so fucked that um, I think a lot of people just find it problematic that she was a black woman. like great, like. In addition to her, like, no, I guess her voting history, they're like, okay, but you also were like the man, you know? So it's. Yeah. It's essentially that, like, she's being a DA. There are people who are like, Kamala's a cop, which I'm like, that's stupid. That's like cop culture. We're not going to get into that right now. But there are certain things that she really fought for that were detrimental to communities of color. Like, she was really for, like, truancy policy and so if kids were missing school she's like we should find and arrest the parents well kids who are missing school more than likely have parents who can't afford these fines or like afford to go to jail so like why would you hurt the community that way right and things like that she was against the legalization of marijuana until like recently she was like pro three strikes laws and really fought to keep some innocent-ish people in jail and like not let them get out on parole so like It sucks because it's really problematic, but it was also a decade ago. And I'd like to think people can grow and change. And I'm hoping it's this is not all coming from her. Like, I'm better now because I want to be president and she's actually changed and developed. But we'll see. She has raised a ton of money from like grassroots grassroots efforts already. And so I'm interested to see if she gets the nomination. 
but also everyone else wants to be president like the guy who founded starbucks but fuck that guy so i don't know I oh guess... is that the independent guy yeah howard yeah, schultz yeah. yeah he can eat dick and that's fine if you eat dick everyone not literally but like <laughs> you know what i'm saying yeah. yeah fuck him i mean i don't know the whole it's it's tough because i feel like uh kamala harris is getting a, a like an even like harder like People are giving her an even harder time. Sorry, I'm just very inarticulate today. Um, people are giving her a harder time, honestly, because she's, I, I, and I think in part because she's a black woman, obviously. Yes. So yes. you have like the uh, built-in sexism or ingrained sexism in black men. Um, and then you have the fact that like everyone else is like racist. <laughs> and she has a white husband, which people think that means she's against the culture. She isn't fully black because her father is actually Jamaican, which makes her less black than another black person. And uh. her mother is Indian. So like there's a lot of stupid people on the internet who have a lot of dumb things to say, but, but I'm I like think, wrestling with that idea where I'm like, do I just vote for her anyway? Because she's a black woman. Like I, I, I'm no, no, <laughs> I don't think you should. I think I'm like, I don't know. I have high hopes for her, but I need her to prove herself more. Yeah. Not that she owes me anything, but like, or with that we know she each does, other. She does. She wants your vote. Yeah. I, I feel like, and let me know if I'm wrong, but my, I think what you're getting at and what I kind of feel is that like, there's going to be a lot of motherfuckers who throw their hat in the ring and not a one of them is going to be perfect. Yes. Uh, so what that means is that we will need to be like more active, more energized if we truly claim to give a shit about all this and like hold those people accountable in whatever small ways we can. Like this, what I'm trying to do, like, sorry, weird tangent. Like literally this week, I wrote a really long ass letter to one of my now senators, now that I live in Illinois. Cause I was like, you know what? I don't know anything about any of these fucking people. I just realized I was like, okay, who's my senator? Or who's one of them? So it's like, what can I do in a small way? And hopefully as this election cycle comes back around, already stressed about it, maybe I can try and take any small piece of my time or coins and like contribute them somewhere in whatever like aligns most with with what is right so sorry that was a lot of feelings that's but i'm just hoping that like you said maya that like growth is possible and that this isn't like a, a front because like oh well now i need to appease like the woke younger generation or whatever but more because like i have made these like mistakes I just want people to own up to it. Like, just be like, you know what? What I did in the past was fucked up. Let's move yeah, forward. And I want to, exactly. I want to make that right. I don't, rather than most, just pretend it didn't happen. I don't want to be pandered to, like you said, um, pretty much, but I don't know. I guess like the, the fact of the matter is I don't agree with a, a number of her politics, like regardless of what party she stands for. Like there, like you said, her voting record is questionable and like, but I'm just like, has do we dive this deep? Into has she changed who, since then also? Has she changed since then one? Yeah, very important because if she has, then like, who cares? Kind of. I mean, not who cares, but you know, redemption and all that good stuff. But at the same time, do we give non-black, non-women, you know, like people this, this level of scrutiny? Because I don't, nope. I mean, I didn't hear anybody bringing up Obama's like voting record back when he was running. Yeah. He not also did not have enough time to... He was a junior senator when he ran. But like, I would even think that women are more scrutinized. And then I'm going to get off this topic because we've been talking about this for far too long. But I would even take the like with Hillary Clinton and like I didn't vote for her. Well, I did in the final election, but not in the primaries. 
but like her whole like super predator comment from like the 90s that people had that clip on repeat where they talked about super predators and their how harmful bills policies were but somehow that had something to do with her even though she wasn't president at the time and so i would like to think that she still didn't hold that stance in terms of like multiple offenders and crime and everything but like who's to know because she didn't win and now we're here um all i have to say in my last two comments is i promised the internet world that if kamala ran i would work for her campaign or volunteer so i guess i have something to do in the once it gets warmer and two if no one goes into this election with the slogan hindsight is 2020 i'm gonna be pissed Ooh, maya oh my god wow well, everyone, maya, this is consider her hat in the ring right campaign manager Ugh. dolly and trust chat 2020. Just kidding. You don't want that. Uh, but anyway. America would fall. All right. But like you said, we could talk about this literally fucking all day. So maybe, maybe on another episode, a bonus. I don't know. But let's, there's one other thing that I super want to talk about. Yeah. Um, I don't know if anybody else. So um, this is like yesterday, I think. Yeah. Literally yeah. Tuesday morning or something yeah. like that. Um, right in my current city of, res- uh, of residence. So there was a racist, homophobic, like, hate attack, um, an assault, physical assault but God on Jesse Smollett from, yeah, um, as uh, people are referring to it on many media as, like, racially charged, but on Jesse Smollett, who, if you are familiar with Empire, um, is a uh, gay black character and also a real-life gay black person. Um, so uh, the I guess the, the short version of it is in a subway in chicago he like left it was like pretty late or early depending on how you're looking at it and somebody like yelling like oh that's that many derogatory words i don't know if i want to like yell all that out right here Uh, but basically slurs yeah slurs racial slurs homophobic slurs um this is maga country county something and like literally like put a noose around his neck like all sorts of bullshit uh and that's just that's what confused me is because I'm like, are you so racist that you just keep a noose on you? Or was this premeditated? Because, I mean, it sounded very, like, random and, like, they just happened to see him and he was, like, you know, just, like, happened to be right there. Like, it just sounded, you know, not planned. But I was like, do you, are you that racist? Like, niggas keep nooses on them? Really? Or not niggas, but you feel me. <laughs> Wiggas. <laughs> um... Yeah, this whole thing has had me really stressed because at first I thought he was dead when everyone was posting his picture and I had a heart attack. But then um, I started actually reading and I was like, oh, shit. And then you you uh, you propose. I'm not articulate today either. Uh, you posed the question, was this premeditated? And you said it sounded random. In my head, it sounds super not random only because they say he got a letter like a week ago that someone was going to kill him. And then he, like, turned down having extra security. And then I don't think people walk around because they had, like, they probably poured bleach all over him and had a noose with him with them. So, like, it sounds targeted. I don't know if he was the target or if they were just looking for someone and he happened to be there. But I think the other thing that really stresses me out about this is that the investigation is, like, actively happening and they, like, can't find any surveillance of the actual attack. But they have surveillance of him like in the subway and like subway, like the restaurant, not like a train um, in the actual subway. But they can't find anything of like the attack actually happening. And like my like deeper, innest, most cynical part of me is like, 
please don't let this be a fabrication because I will like fall out. But he like went to the hospital and got treated. And I'm just like, I don't know. I'm like really stressed out about this because if it actually happened, like what the fuck, where do we live? Or if it's like something else happened and then this was the story that was concocted. Why? I don't know. I'm too cynical for this story. I'm just happy that he's okay, but I'm stressed now. I don't know. I think it just, it, it, I hope it helps people to revisit, like if nothing else, like obviously nothing else could, could possibly come out of it, but like it helps people revisit like the intersections that people exist at that like caused them to be targeted. Because I feel like, like even as a black woman, like a lot of times people expect you to ignore one part of your identity, either you're a woman or you're, or you're black, but like, there's so many specific, very specific issues and very specific like things that happen to you as a result of being both. So I don't know. I just would hope that people might take a second to actually think about, you know, how people's like intersecting identities can cause something like this to happen because clearly these people were, you know, <laughs> hateful in more than one way, you know? Yeah. Also, Kevin Hart, your jokes don't seem so funny now, do they? Mm. And that's that on that. Period. <sighs> Well, with all of that super fun news, I think I'm good for a little breather and then we'll bring it back around with the good stuff, that uplifting shit that you came here for. <laughs> yes, please. Sounds like a plan. Uh, love you, world. Giving you a big old hug uh, via podcast. Uh, see you shortly in like five seconds. Wait! So we're back and it's time um, for the, I guess, I don't know, the main, the main part of the show, the, the main attraction, what you came here for, the meat and potatoes, all that good stuff. Um, today, we have one of my nearest and dearest, one of our nearest and dearest, honestly. Um, uh. She is a badass brown bitch and I love her. And um, yeah, I mean, I'll let her tell you more about herself. But Akila, welcome to the show. Hey, good people. Woo! Yay. Uh, my heart is full and exploding. I'm so wow. happy to be here. I feel like a guest of honor on DSM. Finally made it. Going to put this on my resume. This is great. Yes. Uh, we're branching into a whole new market. Tell the brown people about us. But first, <laughs> tell all the people listening about you. LOL. Um, well, you know, my name is Akila. Some people call me Kiki. If you know, you know. Um, and I went to Maryland and now I'm working in higher ed and I'm just, you know, living each day. So that's, that's the, that's that on that. Period. So I feel like we're going to like delve deeper into all the Akila things, but you did actually mention like kind of what you're doing right now, but I guess a little bit more in depth, like what is it that you're currently doing in the world of higher ed? Like what is your like day to day, your job, your life? Yeah, so I currently work at a school in Virginia, and I am in an office that does stuff with living and learning programs, um, and we also do orientation stuff, so it's a little bit of everything, and so my day-to-day is pretty much just handling all of the programs that run through our office and meeting with students and um, creating programming and content for the stuff for the future, so that's a bit of what I do. It's a little nebulous. It's kind of hard to pin down, especially at the school I'm at. Um, it's a little smaller than what I'm used to. So people wear a lot of different hats and that's been an adjustment for me. Um, but that is basically like my 
responsibilities is just kind of figuring out orientation stuff and figuring out living learning program stuff and, you know, just meeting with students and making sure that they grow to good little beans. Do you know what's really funny is like to the outside world, I feel like everything you just said sounded super broad. But to me, I'm like, that's exactly what I do, too. So like, I'm like, wow, yes, yes. Student programming, living and learning programs. Oh, yes. New student orientation, retention. Oh, do you want to talk about transition policy? Great. Let's do it. And I'm like, yes, me too. Same. Okay. Perfect. Wow. Beautiful. Yeah. LOL. So I guess um, for me, I already know the answer to this, but the world doesn't. I think the next natural sort of transition question is, how did you get into this field of work? What sort of drew you to the world of higher ed? Because no one gets here on purpose, but they always end up here. Also, sorry, additionally, if you could just like within that description, like I feel like a lot of people don't know what higher ed means. So how you discovered like what even higher ed is <laughs> and you know, like what that all entails, I think that would be super useful for the listeners. Yeah. So the best way that someone explained this to me, which I wish I could give them credit, I forget if you're listening and this is you that told me, just let me know. But the best way I've heard higher ed being described is if you think of a university setting and you think of everything that happens on the university, anything that's not in a classroom that's taught by a professor is 99% is higher ed. So whether that's Greek life, orientation, student activities in the student union, um, you know, programming through the student union, all that stuff is falls under this umbrella of higher education and student affairs. Um, and so everyone that works there, like most likely knows like stuff about higher ed. Um, but as far as I came into it, it was kind of a fluke. So I went into, I was at the University of Maryland, as y'all know. Um, and I went into it going, thinking I was going to be a doctor because classic brown, brown girl problems. But um, I did orientation for two summers. And so the first was, um, the first time I did it, I was like, Oh my God, this is like, so cool. Like what a fun time to, what fun, fun way to spend my summer. And then I did it again. And then in that process, I also was a tour guide at Maryland. I was an ambassador for the arts and humanities college. So basically everything I was doing that was outside of the classroom had something to do with students. I was also a um, teaching assistant. So it was just a lot of student interaction stuff that I was focused on. And one day, this was senior year, I was sitting in the orientation office with Laura Brandt, shout out to Mama Duck, and I was considering applying to English PhD programs. Cause, so I went into, bio, went into college as a biology major, and then I double majored in bio and English, failed organic chemistry too, science is a lie. So I dropped- Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> I heard that. Girl, retweet, yes. I dropped, dropped chemistry and- I added a certificate in women's studies. So my senior year, that's what I was studying. And like, do I want to do like English? What do I want to do? And I kind of made a comment that like, you know, I wish I could do orientation for the rest of my life. And she was like, well, coincidentally, I have a degree. So I talked to Laura about it. And that's how I kind of realized that it was a field in and of itself. And so I was deciding again, because I still wasn't sure here was this new shiny field that I just found out about. And here was my English PhD that I thought I was going to get. Um, but I essentially made it like a very, not like super last minute decision, but it was, it felt last minute to me. And I just was like, you know what, I'm going to do this higher ed thing. So I like took the GRE applied and the rest is history. So that's how I found this career path. That's so funny too, because I can remember very distinctly, like, I don't even, I don't even know why. Oh, I was going into the orientation office to do work. And then I walked in, it's like 1am and Akila. <laughs> 
<laughs> sitting there like with flashcards studying for the GRE. You, oh, sis, that the last minute decision to take the GRE is like nothing to scoff at. Like that shit is wild. So the fact that you studied for it for like what a month and like passed and got into grad school and shit, like kudos to you. Look, I just would not recommend that life to anybody. So if you're listening to this and you're younger and you're thinking of taking the GRE, please prep more. Yes, <laughs> do. Because math is hard. Math is really difficult. Words are sometimes hard. So and this is coming from an English major. So that's when, you know, so it just was honestly the most stressful time. Like it was like October through December of my first semester of senior year. But, you know, it was over and everything was out there and things happened. So, oh, my God, I just have to say like one other small bit on this because I just remember and it was December. I get a call at like 11, I don't know, something like shortly after 11 p.m. And Akilah's like, hey, I'm going to send you this. Can you read it and just proofread it for me? Yes. And I was like, <laughs> yes. The essays. My personal statement. Oh, my God. Again. She was like, I don't know what this is. And I was like, girl, this is great and you're fine. And you spelled everything right. Proud of you. And lo and behold, she did spell everything right. And now she is a master of smart things. So it worked out. I'm glad that we were all there to witness pieces of this. Right. That should show you how stressed I was because a bitch was contacting every single person I knew. And sometimes people that I didn't know that well, just for the validation of, am I doing the right thing? Like, is this okay? Um, But it happened. It did happen. So I think it's, it is interesting because we kind of talked about like the, a little bit of the journey through your undergraduate career, getting to making the decision to go to a graduate program and like even now working as a professional um, in the university. But I totally remember that initial, I think like, oh, like, yeah, like do, do biology, do chemistry, STEM, something. Cause that just seems like the correct thing to do. Yep. Um, I think it's like, funny that what? three out of yeah. four of us did that. <laughs> That Shout out to Maya for knew. being an OG. And she was just like, I can't and I won't. Um, not that she couldn't. She could have. But she knew from the onset that it wasn't the ministry. Yes, you. Oh, no, no, no. I knew I couldn't. <laughs> I could not have, even if I tried. <laughs> no, no, no. Woo, let me tell you about all the times I cheated in high school in science classes. And that's why I'm here today. Amen. Sorry, institutions. Um, yes. But like... When you originally got to school and decided, or you were at least planning originally on like, yeah, doctor things, like, I guess, what was your like inspiration or influence? Like, what kind of made you at first think that that was what you wanted? I know for me, it was just because I was like, I don't know, that seems what people do. So (laughs) biology was fun in high school. Let's keep it up. Yeah, I guess my motivation for that was a combination of like, you know, I wanted to help people. So I was like, of course, the only way you can help people in this world is to be a doctor and save their life. Um, and then I like was interested in biology from like, a, I like reading about the body and like how the body works standpoint. But I guess I didn't really take into account the science behind it. Because again, I wasn't meant to be a doctor. <laughs> but I was like, Oh, my God, like, I like reading about the body, like, I might as well like major in it. Um, and then also, like, you know, a lot of people in the Indian community, like as this the stereotype holds true for a reason. Like there is a lot of people who kind of go into pre-med or um, engineering and stuff. And so STEM is pretty much heavily like, I guess, advertised. And 
thankfully my parents were not as like they didn't pressure me to do anything at all. Like all of the pressure to become a doctor was actually me. Hello. Hey. So it wasn't my parents, but I think that within the community at large, like that definitely is seen like as a, you know, a prestigious role and stuff. And so I think that whether or not I admitted it at the time, like it might've subconsciously been like, you know, this is going to make me look good and like make me have like a good name in the community and stuff like that. Um, And I know that like my, my mom had never said it directly, but she like low key wanted me to be a doctor too. And so like, sometimes like even when I was um, in grad school, like actively pursuing another degree, she was like, you know, it's never too late to go to med school. And I'm like, mom, like, I think it is. She's like, you can still be a doctor. And I'm like, ma'am, I don't think so. So I think that there was, I mean, my parents did, obviously they would be like over the moon if I became a doctor, but they would never were explicitly like, become a doctor or like we will be mad so yeah, yeah. some people like are like yeah my parents won't fund anything other than a stem degree so exactly. yeah <laughs> and so I'm thankful that like my parents were not like that and also low-key even if they try like because my dad is like a computer science person and then my mom um was a English lecturer in India so like she taught like Shakespeare and so did my grandpa And so I think English kind of ran in the family. And so in my head, I was like, when I dropped like biology, I was like, you know, going through like, how am I going to tell my parents this? And a part of me was like, they can't even be mad because mom, you, you did English. So you can't be mad that I'm doing English. So, but that was, um, yeah, that was part of that whole process too. I think I have a question. Um, Because I think, not I think, I know. Sorry to exclude you, Aj and Brandon, but as two first-gen kids, uh, Akila, after having recently learned that you were born in India, um, which I did not know, even though we've been friends for so long, I don't know how I did not know that. Um, so you're like truly, truly first-gen. I'm like first-gen American. I think, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, part of that like pressure that comes with their push to go towards stem engineering math whatever is like from this desire that your family wants for you to be stable and so they're like don't be a writer because writers are hungry and artists are hungry but the old world always needs doctors and the world always needs engineers and so it's one of those things where for me personally big d my dad and my mom knew like this girl cannot do math <laughs> she cannot do the science like that just did not come naturally to me so when I was like I won't be a journalist they're like good <laughs> the world doesn't need you building bridges even though to this day my mom was like you should be an engineer you just put that Ikea table together and I'm like I don't think the two are um related but light bulb in like something like my mom had a hard time hanging up this light bulb in this fancy like you know like those standing things where you could put plants and like whatever and I put the light bulb in. She's like, wow, you should have majored in electrical engineering. And I'm like, <laughs> like, I don't think it's that simple because if it was, I would have done it. Like, it's really hard. What's a differential equation? I still don't know. But um, I think all of that to say, this is less of a question and more of a comment that I think I understand sort of where that pressure comes from. And then you end up in this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy where you're like, yes, all of these brown people are doing all of these STEM things. Brown as in like brown like India. Indi- I almost called you India. Your name is Akila. Brown like brown like Akila or like black people who are like African first generation. They're doing all these things because that's what they see other people doing. But the reason other people be- keep doing it is because they kept getting pushed away from other fields. And then you're like, the cycle never truly ends. So 
I guess, does that sound familiar to you? Yeah, and I think it's also interesting because, like, I always go back and forth between identifying as first gen or, like, there's this thing. I haven't read much of the research on this, but there's this thing called 0.5 generation because my parents have college degrees. They're just from India. So they have, like, so if you think about first generation, like, college students, like, they're their first in their family to go to college. But so technically, I'm not first generation by that definition. That's a highly contested definition, though, because it's like... Why does my American degree the only one that counts? That is very true. And so, yeah, so I, but yeah, you're right. Like, so my parents had no idea about the college process and I kind of had it a little easier because my sister, I have an older sister who like went through the process before me. And so I kind of, you know, took, took my notes, um, but it still was kind of a confusing process, but you know, you're right, Maya. I think that like, it is a, a very self-fulfilling prophecy. And I also think that like, I kind of took little, like I was reflecting on stuff and I think that like, a lot of times when we choose our career, we as in, well, I, let me speak for myself. When I was choosing my career path, I think it was less about doing what my parents wanted me to do because they were like flexible enough that they were like, you know, just do, I think the only guideline they ever gave me was like, make sure that you can like sustain yourself mm-hmm. and like that you don't have to depend on a husband for financial security. Like yes, you feminism. just need to be able to like that. Yeah. Both my parents, especially my dad, he was like, you know, and my mom, both of them were like, you cannot depend on somebody else for your financial stability. Like you have to be able to sustain yourself. So for me, it was less about like doing what they wanted, but more about making sure that in the future I can hopefully give back. And I think that that Mm -hmm. is also like a theme that I feel like is in a lot of like immigrant communities and like first generation, like people. Um, And in general, like Asian American communities also are like super collectivist. And like, I think that is applicable to other immigrant communities as well. So I think it is that process of like, you know, this is for me, but it's also not for me because it's for all of us. And so how can I make sure that I can give back, even if it's in a small way, like even if it's, I don't know, I think that you see all those videos of people like paying off their parents' mortgage and I'm in higher ed, that shit is never going to happen. But I'm just need to see like, you know, maybe I can send home a little bit of money or like maybe I can take care of like my own I don't know. And that's never their expectation, because if your parents are anything like mine, they have a strong refusal to ever accept money from me, even though I'm like, I have this to like let me be helpful. And they're like, no, we are your parents. We are supposed to take care of you. And I'm like, yes. But what was the point of investing in me if I can't put that back out into the world? And it's so stressful because they also were like, when we came... It, Ooh, I'm about to go on an immigrant kid rant and then I'll shut up. They'd be like, when we came here at 17 and 18 years old, we not only paid our rent in our college, we sent money back home to our families. And I'm like, I'm trying to send money back to you right now and you're returning to senders. So like, I don't know what you want from me, but that is a conversation for me and my therapist to have at a later date. So I also think it's interesting because like from like, the, the like the theme of like having to give back and having to do something that's like also good for the community I feel like was something that was like very like ingrained in me also um which obviously to me is interesting because I'm nowhere near first generation hey slavery um but it's um this like I think and I think and I'm obviously I'm not going to speak for all um black American and I don't even know how to define because I'm like how to how to define that because if you're black and living in America then people view you as black but whatever um, but I'll say untraceably black Americans, black people who got here via slavery. A lot of that comes from 
I think, um, like a, a religious upbringing. Um, so like it, I know for me, it was a lot of like, you, you occupy a certain space in the world. Like you have certain privileges, though few, you, you, you know, you're not homeless. You're not hungry. You can give back. You can do something good. You weren't born special. So you have an obligation to take what you have and pay it forward. And I don't know. I just think it's interesting that it kind of results in the same kind of like collectivist mindset um, as a person of color, but obviously coming from like a, I won't say very different place because I'm sure in a lot of communities, it's also, it also has a lot to do with um, religion, but it's just like reflecting on that as a, as a black, you know, that I think that's like, that's has a lot to do with it for us. Um, but I guess going on to the like topic of people of color <laughs> and trying to navigate in this wild world, what, uh, I guess like what experiences have you had? What is it like, what is being a woman of color in higher ed look like, like for you? Are there any like struggles? Is it ever difficult? Obviously, I mean, it probably is, but you know what I mean? Like what <laughs> specific kind of stuff goes on that like you wish you could change or has like been an obstacle, shit like that, you know? Mm-hmm. I think it's just hella imposter syndrome, man. And I think that a lot of people can relate to that regardless of whether or not they're a woman of color or like whether or not they're in higher ed. So it's a little broad. I'm not saying this is only happening to people in higher ed, but it's just a lot of imposter syndrome. It's a lot of like thinking that you're not doing the right thing and like figuring out like where you can find those like areas of people who can like reinforce you, like positively reinforce you and like encourage you and like help you grow. Um, I think that, that has been kind of the struggle. I think especially like going to grad school was a big transition because I wasn't an undergrad student anymore. I know that sounds dumb, but I think working in a grad school, I was still taking classes. I was still a student, but I also like had a job where I was working with students. And so I was so close to them in age and like, but technically like I wasn't one of them. Um, and so figuring out how to navigate those boundaries, like, am I doing this right? Like, am I being too casual? Am I being too cold? Am I like being too aloof? So I think that it's a lot of just balancing different aspects. And I'm not sure that I think that's just the experience itself. And so if you add being a woman of color on top of that and everything that means, I think it just adds like an additional layer. Um, and I think that I've been pretty lucky so far to be have been in environments where like I've been encouraged and I've been like supported and stuff, but I don't know, I guess I'm rambling and I don't know if I'm answering your question, but I think it just is a lot of adjustments in a lot of different ways. And some of them have to do with being a woman of color in the field and especially being like the only Indian person. And, you know, when I would try and write papers about South Asian people, like I would always have to kind of down, not downplay it, but broaden it to include all Asian Americans um, and so that was a struggle because I felt like I wasn't represented in the research. Um, but that's a larger like higher ed topic. So I don't know. Did that answer your question? But I think you bring up a good point, which then just sort of ties back to this whole self-fulfilling prophecy idea of like when you don't see yourself in a space, especially one that you're working in, the imposter syndrome is that much more real. Like I can quietly sit here and reflect on the fact that I have zero black women mentors in my field 
not because these women don't exist, but that they're just so few and far between that, like, mm. the ones that are there are already being pulled in 50 different directions to mentor everyone else who is also black and also a woman or black and a man, because there's not a ton of black men in higher ed either. That is slowly changing. But then you talk about this, like, well, there's no research about it because no one's ever done it because everyone strays away from these fields. So it's so much harder to be like, I'm confident in the work I'm doing and I can turn to fill in the blank and they can reassure me because they went through it too because that person doesn't exist so now you sort of have to become that person and then you have your students who are like i think i want to do higher ed and you're like damn i gotta stay here because i want you to see me and want to keep staying on this path forever because we need you in it and it's literally a shit show because that on top of the fact that like you said you're two and a half to three years older than these people that you're supposed to be mentoring. And you're like, I don't even know what I'm doing with my life, which is a conversation I have with my students every day. I'm like, yes, this is very para and not professional, but like, I want to help you, but also understand that like, I was born a month before you were. So we're going to figure this out together, Jimmy. Yeah. I mean, that's really real. And I think that like, I mean, if you talk about the research and this is kind of like, not to get into like the nitty gritty, but like the, there's like this whole thing, you know, the model minority myth and people are like Asian Americans are doing great and that's fine. But, you know, if you dis, if you like this umbrella of Asian just covers so many different groups that it's just not, it's not, how are you going to cover that many people under one topic, right? Under one like name. And if you disaggregate the data and like actually pull out like East Asian and South Asian and all of that, and even going further, like and dividing it up by like ethnic group, like Asian people are not doing well, like in schools. And there's like specific groups that are historically like over time, not doing well. And so I think that like to change the narrative about that, like is this whole like other, this is like going on a tangent, but I think that like, you know, the perceptions that we have of certain groups can affect like how we see them like day to day. Right. And so I think that like, I I just think that there's just a lot of, there's just a lot going on with higher ed and with all that. And kind of going back to what you said about not being able to see like people like you, like I'm in a Facebook group for like South Asian, like they see student affairs professionals and we like celebrated cause we hit 200, like a, like, a couple oh months God. ago. And so it's just like, oh that's like, you know, we like, this is just people who have Facebook who want to be in the group, right? So maybe there are other people that like exist and they just aren't in the group. But I can say for a fact that like at my workplace in my day to day, I'm the only person of color I see. And I think that I have people across campus that I'm friends with and that I'm close to that are people of color. But there's like one other South Asian woman that's like on campus that I can think of that I like am friends with, you know? And so it's just, it's a budding field. And I know that we deviated from like, how does being a woman of color kind of affect your role and stuff? But I think it's just a, I feel like that question kind of leads into all this other like bigger stuff. But yeah, man, it's hard sometimes out here, but we are here every day. Well, I mean, I think it's important that you acknowledge kind of just like that it means something different for like being a Desi woman in higher ed from, it's different from being a black woman in higher ed or, you know, you can't homogenize the experience under just women of color. So I think it's that's interesting because obviously the model minority myth isn't something that like a black woman would deal with. Um, granted, like <laughs> there's like 5,000 other things you'll have to deal with, but that like wrestling with the idea that people don't think of you sometimes as an underprivileged group when, you know, 
clearly like you're like you're saying the data shows that like not all southeast asian students or not all asian students are actually necessarily successful in school like that's i feel like just having to prove that like there needs to be more research done has to be like taxing in and of itself so there's this book that i'm reading it's called the karma of brown folk and he starts out by like referring to Du Bois, like, you know, what does it feel feel like to be a problem? Mm. Um, mm. And he kind of changes that. And he's like, what does it feel like to be a solution? And so I think that I haven't finished the book yet, but it's really, it's like an interesting, like kind of anthology or I don't know what you would call it, but it's just the interesting, like research kind of book about Indian people in America and like how we got here and the perceptions and stuff. So stay tuned. I'll let you know how it feels or how it is when I'm done <laughs> reading it. But yeah, man, there's a lot, there's a lot out here. Thank you for, like, breaking down, like, and getting into your own personal experience and then even some insights on, you know, I just, like, zooming further and further out. And it's like, you know, of course we can never ask and I or expect you to speak for an entire, like, every single, like, dizzy woman in higher ed feels this. But it's, I think it's just cool to get, like, these bits and pieces from someone's, like, personal experience in here. Um, I think... And I, if anybody else has any other questions, feel free to chime in. But I kind of wanted to end on, you know, right now where you're at, you are like, I mean, honestly, still pretty fresh into your like professional experience in higher education. Um, like, what is it for you that you envision down there? Like, what do you hope to accomplish? Like, what impact would you like to have? Like, what do you want for those that are coming after you as well. I know that's another like pretty broad question, but I mean, I guess just like what comes to mind. So yeah, that is a broad question. I think that, you know, for me, like obviously the reason why I even came into this field, like through orientation and stuff is just like to have that impact on students and like a positive impact and help them grow and be like the best that they can be. And like, I am a firm believer, like I like books and stories for a reason because they matter. And so I think that, you know, I, I hope to like continue to impact students, hopefully in a positive way and make sure that their stories are heard and validated and that they can like grow into the best version of themselves. Um, because it's obviously like, we all feel it too. Like it's so easy to get caught up in the rat race and like compare your journey to other people's. And I do it, Lord knows I do it literally every day. But I think that in order to be like a, be your best authentic self. You can't do that. And you have to just focus on what you're doing. And so my hope is that I can continue to hopefully like have that impact on students. And some days it's hard. And like, I think if you're in higher ed, you kind of know that it is sometimes most often a thankless job and you just kind of go through the days and you wonder like, is the shit I'm doing even like, does it even matter? Um, But I hope that it continues and that like I can continue to do that and then especially with orientation like I would love to just be in a role where I can help like mold that experience for people because it was such a formative experience for me both being an OA but also like going through orientation itself and I think that it's such an important like way to set up the rest of their time at the university so that would be my like hope is to just be at a place where I'm continuously improving like the orientation program at that school but also just like connecting with students and being like having my I guess selfishly having my soul like 
kind of enriched by their stories because you just learn so much. And I just feel like every year students get smarter. And I'm like, what the hell? How did I even go to college? Because these students are going to be out here like changing the world. And it's just such a joy to see. And so I just hope that that's what my future holds is just a lot of like good stories, a lot of good moments with students and hopefully doing work that I like that matters and that is directly impacting students um, at a place that I love. So that's what I hope. And I guess for the people that are coming after me, that is a big question. Um, I hope to see more faces that look like mine. Um, I have seen more like since going to conferences and stuff. And that's been really exciting because um, it was it, it can be really isolating when you decide to go into this field. You're like, where the hell are the rest of the Indian people? And then you find people and you're like, oh, like this is really cool. Um, and so I hope that like it continues to the point where it's not weird for someone like me to be in a field like this. And, you know, my parents have come like, not that they were ever against it, but they're slowly starting to understand what I'm doing. And they've been gotten better at explaining it to all our family friends, which is really cute. And so I'm hoping that that has its own impact and like that, you know, you can't be what you can't see. And so I just hope that the people can see that this is also a possibility and that it is a like, field where you can sustain yourself like I'm not depending on no man for my bills there's a lot of bills and I'm paying them unfortunately but you know it's my money and so I think that it's just it is a sustainable field it's a field that can give you a lot of joy and I hope that like people who come after me can see that and can envision themselves here so yes you can be what you can't start off by thanking you for giving us our episode title you can't be what you can't see thank you Thank you so oh, much for that. Oh, oh. That was incredible. Oh, also, inspired. Yeah, my spirit was just moved. You make me want to stay in higher ed, despite every part of my being telling me <laughs> to leave. So you're doing your job so well. It's not. People always say this. You don't go into it for the money. You go into it for the students. And that's. And they just keep coming. And so you're like, I'm going to leave with this group. And then you get more and you're like, damn, I'm invested in you now, little Timmy. We're going to get you graduated. And then there's a new Timmy every year. Real every year, every single year. So, uh, yeah, that's that on that, y'all. That's higher ed with Kiki. <laughs> higher ed with Kiki. <laughs> well, I think. Should we take another quick break before we? I love yes. breaks. I, I need a break. All of these things have been like emotionally fulfilling and also exhausting. I'm just I'm inspired. I feel like I need to do better. Thanks. Again. Yes. All right. <laughs> All right. We'll do something inspirational on this quick break. BRB. All right, friends. We are back. Uh, we've just had our spirits moved by Kiki, um, basically speaking my whole first generation immigrant kid life, but also on the many woes of working in higher ed, which, you know, someone needs to write a novel about that shit because it is a mind fuck. Honestly, this is unrelated. Sorry, my life is unrelated. <laughs> How cool would a reality show or scripted series about working at a college from a young person's perspective be? Like... We don't have to answer that. Just think about it. Think about it. We're going to write it. It's going to be fine. But in the meantime and in between time, Aj, you are on the ass duty. So, <laughs> duty, ass. Do you have an ass for us? <laughs> um, well, yes. Yes, I do have um, some ass for everyone. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how to put this so that it sounds okay. Yama. <laughs> but this, this bi-weekly ass, um, 
I happened upon him as I was rewatching um, one of my, I wouldn't say like top top, but one of my favorite um, franchises. I don't even know if it's a franchise technically. I, I mean, it's complicated. Um, but mm-hmm. Taco Bell. <laughs> he's a white, um, but I wouldn't necessarily call him a TBC. A spicy white? He doesn't give me a Tad or a Brad or a Chad vibe. So, but he's not really a spicy white either. Anyways, I will just reveal. My ass this week is one Hugh Jackman. Um, oh. Yeah. Oh. Uh, he has the jawline of a god. Um, I love a beard and the shape that he has to stay in to play Wolverine is wild. Um, I'm just saying that I didn't realize that he did it for me until I realized, until I was just like, this is it. I'm like, I'm into this. I, I did this. So, uh, I don't know if anyone has any, any rebut, ha, more ass jokes, um, but yeah, that's my, that's my ass for this week. Hmm. I don't have like any rebut or like, I don't think I've ever felt super strongly about Huey being like Bay. But he definitely has, <laughs> like, like those, like the arms he's serving us today. Like, I would love to be as fit as he is. And certainly if he wanted to, like, pick me up and throw me over his shoulder while jumping out of, like, a mutant X-Men <laughs> burning building drama, um, I, like, wouldn't oppose it. I'd be like, yeah, save me with your claws and regeneration abilities. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm like, we, I'm like fuzzy. And I, that does, I don't think that really makes me look like Hugh Jackman, but I'm like, could we be related? <laughs> <laughs> simply, I don't know. Are we long with, lost kin? Simply because you are a, a, a bearded fellow. <laughs> a, a bearded white. I don't know. You're right. That's really not enough. Uh, <laughs> genetic evidence. But I mean, well, could be. <laughs> he's Australian, which is nice. That's like <gasps> on the pro list for oh, me. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Plus 10. Plus 10. And he has a nice smile, which is also a plus for me because I'm big on smiles. Shout out to all that dental work. But um, every time I think of Hugh Jackman, I just have like dark flashbacks to the Les Mis movie. Oh, which- <laughs> Truly, truly stressed me out. Oh, I don't blame so, you. So, and I don't want to hold him again, hold that against him because we all make choices in life, and some of them aren't as good as others. And so that movie mm. happened, and we accepted it for what it was. Anne Hathaway was great. Everything else, trash. Um, I also like Samantha Barks, but the men in that movie were not good. But yes, Akila is holding up a photo of his very jacked Wolverine body, and that is where I would give it to him because like you said he's not like young he's you know he's what late 40s ish he's seasoned um he is a seasoned white and he as far as i know is not problematic which is like plus one like it's not difficult to be problematic as a white person but they try hard and they succeed so yeah he was born in 68 he get it you know i i like him i have no actual negative things about him as a person I honestly, I think you hit the nail on the head with a seasoned white. It's not a spicy white, but it's not a TBC. 
not bland, yeah. but seasoned. there's levels to this whiteness. Mm, <laughs> Who would have thought? Paprika, mm, garlic powder. Yeah, mm. but but nothing crazy. No cayenne. No um, no smoked yeah. paprika. No cumin. Ooh, smoked paprika. I love. <laughs> it's just Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. I feel like that should Hugh Jackman as Wolverine with his claws can just come to my house and chop my vegetables for me. Like, I just want that. <laughs> Is that a euphemism? Because I'm into it. I want him to chop your vegetables. We get it. <laughs> he was also in that Greatest Showman movie, which I didn't watch, but everyone lost their shit over. So, who knows? But he's fine. I haven't canceled him, so it's a thumbs up from me. Dope. All right, well, then, Akela, as we mentioned... Uh, we've been passing our bop to our guests. Um, so if there is a song on your soul, um, a, a lyric on your spirit, uh, let us know <laughs> uh, what you're feeling this week. A rhyme on your mind? That didn't really rhyme, but you were doing a rhyming thing and I tried to get in on it. No, I liked it. I liked it. I'm with Thank it. Thank you. I was about it. I'm with that. Um, I have been listening to, so there's this new Bollywood movie um, called Gully Boy that's going to come out Valentine's Day, I actually think. And they had their music release, like, I think last week sometime. And I was super hyped for it because the actor that's in this movie is, like, my favorite, Ranbir Singh. He's very, he should be your ass for whatever the next week. I'll send him to you. Oh, I've mm. seen no, a I've seen. feed on him. So, <laughs> like, you know yeah. what? That's a good He's preemptive solution. Very yummy. Um, the movie is really cool. It's about this, like, it's, like, about the rap scene in Bombay, like, in Mumbai, India. And so I, like, didn't know that that was a thing. But I think that the music is just, like, really cool. So it's essentially them rapping in Hindi. So I'm, like, really about it and really here for it. So that whole album is really good. I listen to it at work. But there is this one song called Apna Time Ayega, which means our time will come. Yes, so I feel bitch. like that's also a nice Four uplifting language. thing. And he raps. And it's literally him. And he's just, you know, I wish I could be married to him. But he just had this beautiful wedding with his now wife and their love story is really cute. So, you know, that's fine, too. Literally and like just went on the gram so that I could just pull him up like his little mustache. Oh, my God. Yeah, I've definitely seen him before in some like of those listicles of just like, hey, did you not know that this guy was fucking everything? And now <laughs> not as not fucking everything as in like uh, having sex with everything, but he is everything with adverb or adjective fucking. Thank you. OK, great. Love that word. Graham, later, you should, this is the video, like in his yellow, like yellow jersey. Ugh. You watch that, that's him, like rapping this song, and he's just lovely. And he's just, I just love him. So, 10 out of 10 would recommend. I also really like the word gully because it has different definitions where you're from. So, like, do you have a gully? Um, a gully? No, there's no gully in Amharic, but like, if someone's like, yo, I'm gully, like, that's like, you know, like, I'm real, like, I'm mad gully. Or you could be like, he's really gully, like, he's hood. Or, like, gully also means, like, gutter, like, from the streets. And so, and yeah, so that, is that, that what, means. is it, is it like, yeah, he's like a street boy? Yeah, so, like, the term gully makes me laugh. 
Yeah. But I'm into it. We're into an international bop. <sighs> I have to like be on the lookout for it. Can you hit us with the name one more time? Apna time aega. Wow, can you just speak Hindi? Hindi, yeah. For I don't... the rest, we should have just done this whole interview in Hindi. It would have, it would have gone really well. Um, we would have been like, yes, <laughs> I too understand. <laughs> Languages are cool, y'all. Um, but yay. Oh, we did it. You know, Akila, thank you so much again for joining us. Uh, it was truly a pleasure. And thank you for like reuniting some of our OG OSWAT fam. If you're out there listening, OSWAT, uh, this one's for you. This one's for you. And for, for all the people out there considering like higher ed student affairs things and all, hopefully this uh, lifted your heart and your spirits a bit. Yeah, um, don't let us thwart you from your higher ed dreams. Like we're just jaded because life. But it's actually really fun and it's really fulfilling. Yes. Uh, Retweet. <laughs> Favorite. All right, y'all. Well, on that. No, don't say synonym it. Synonym for say it. a word <laughs> that we shall not speak. I'm Brandon. I'm Aj. <laughs> and I may or may not be Maya. Or maybe I'm Gully. And, and maybe she is Gully. And diet starts Monday. Bye. Bye. This week's episode of Diet Starts Monday was produced and edited by Maya Dawi with production support from the entire DSM squad. Our theme song was written and performed by Brandon Chat. You can find episodes of this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and SoundCloud. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at DSM Pod or on Facebook at Diet Starts Monday Podcast. Mm-hmm.